the definition of recovery is to regain what was lost or taken. Mm. It's not about weight. It's not about food groups. It's, it's about reclaiming ourselves, even if it means we've got to dig deep and start at the very beginning and, and build a new foundation. Are you over 40? Do you feel like you're stuck? Maybe you've always had this knowing that you're meant to do more. Well, on the other side of fear is exhilaration. Your life has purpose. You were born to make an impact. Dear Midlife is about triumphing over life's adversities together and empowering women over 40 to navigate with strength and courage all of the messiness of life. Hi, I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, full-time single mother of two teenage girls, world traveler, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired little girl living in a grown woman's body that's still full of spunk, charm, and sass with a sprinkle of some black girl magic. We are both a work in progress, and together we are here to link arms with you as we make it our mission to be our best selves and share tips, tricks, and expert advice through no-holds-barred conversations for navigating the ups and downs that come with living life in the middle. Mindy Gorman-Plutzer is a certified functional nutritionist, lifestyle practitioner, and eating psychology coach with over 25 years of experience. Mindy is passionate about helping others recover from eating disorders and create a healthier lifestyle. Mindy's approach to eating disorders tackles the root cause of the issue and emphasizes that how and why you eat is just as important as what you eat. Through her integrative approach, she also looks at the impact disordered eating has on one's daily life, digestion, and hormones. Her life experience and training inspired her to create a framework that combines functional nutrition, positive psychology, and mind and body science called the Freedom Promise. She has established a compassionate resolution to physical and emotional challenges resulting from chronic and complex health issues as they relate to eating disorders, specifically for women in midlife. You know, this message is so powerful to me because I've had an eating disorder for over 20 years now. And I've come to realize that I've had such a difficult time overcoming this disorder because so much of who I am is entangled in what I put into my body. I associate my worth with how I look and have a skewed view that when I eat something outside of my very strict protocols, I will somehow become unlovable. In this episode, Mindy helps us to reveal these misconceptions for what they are and helps us take small steps toward recovery. Mindy is also the author of The Freedom Promise, Seven Steps to Stop Fearing What Food Will Do to You and Start Embracing What It Can Do for You. She provides us such a wealth of information in this interview. I hope you really enjoy and can connect to the message. And if you're enjoying the Dear Midlife podcast and relate to these topics, please share your story with us at dearmidlife at gmail.com or leave us a review. And now without further ado, please welcome Mindy Gorman. Plutzer. Dear Midlife listeners, we are here today with Mindy Gorman Plutzer, 
who is here with us today to dive into this idea of where does disordered eating come from? How does this impact us as we broach our midlife years? And how do we work to heal ourselves from patterns of disordered eating? So Mindy, thank you so much for being here with us today. We're super excited to have you. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm equally as excited to be here with you. It's such an important topic. Yes, I agree. And so I would love to know a little bit about what is your journey and how did you come to this place where you're now working with women primarily in midlife yes. to help them overcome this disordered eating pattern? So tell us about your journey. Well, my journey into dieting began when I was in my early teens. Um, I grew up in a family. I was the oldest of three daughters. My mom had weight issues of her own. Image was very, very important. And, you know, here I'm certainly going to date myself happily. And this was the late 50s, early 60s into the 70s. And there were things we didn't talk about. What was most important was how we presented ourselves to the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. My mother was of the thinking that you couldn't be too thin. Mm -hmm. And so we really dieted as a family. Monday to Friday, it was all about mostly calorie restriction. Of course, there was the Stillman diet. There was the cabbage soup diet. There was the Atkins diet. It really was whatever worked. And on Friday, all hell broke loose. <laughs> and, and it was whatever we could eat. And it was Entenmann's cakes and Drake's cakes. And, and we had a candy cabinet. and and. It was so confusing. It really was so confusing. But the, the underlying message was, you got to follow the rules. And I being the oldest of the three girls, um, I, I had a sense that my mother's approval was very important to me. It was very important for me to feel bonded to her. It was very important for me to have her approval. And she was tough. She had her own issues with um, being emotionally available. So I learned at a very early age to be quiet, do everything that I thought was right, stay out of the way, and don't ask for much. Mm. Isn't that interesting, Mindy, that so many times you can find a connection with people between emotional av availability or unavailability, emotional challenges, and eating, and how it, the two kind of go hand in hand, and um, somehow these emotional pieces will manifest in eating control issues or total lack of control issues. Well, I have a very strong theory about that. And I'll, I'm very happy to share it now before I dive yes, into the, the, the trajectory of my story. Remember that when we are born, we are thrust into this world. And, and the, the birth experience is traumatic. Mm. Our very first experience with being seen and nurtured has to do with being fed and we have no sense of ego we have no sense of autonomy we are solely dependent upon the person who's responsible for our care and feeding interesting the brain remembers that right that the limbic part of the brain remembers needs to feel safe need to be taken care of eat feel better hmm. so later on if that sense of safety and security is skewed if 
that person is no longer emotionally available to us or physically available to us, what, whatever the, however the trauma manifests itself, whether it's big T or little t, hmm. the brain remembers, I'll feel safe when I eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why, one of the reasons why food becomes the tool, it almost becomes an emotional it becomes a placeholder really for the emotions that need to be expressed. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's what happened. I, I'm, and then as I reached puberty and my body started to change from this rail thin child to a young woman with curves, mm -hmm. the need to control what was happening to my body deepened. And because my personality was as such, and we talked about, that whole perception, perfection head, um, I, I really became enmeshed in diet culture. Now, I want to say not everybody who goes on a diet is going to develop an eating disorder. Right. But I have not met a woman with an eating disorder that didn't start with dieting. Ah. So then for me, that morphed into a medicine cabinet full of diuretics and laxatives and over-the-counter appetite suppressants. Um, Fast forward into my 20s, I married very young. I was uh, counting every calorie, watching everything that went into my mouth, becoming totally laxative dependent, all in secret, um, restricting during the day, finding myself having episodes of overeating, binging, consistently purging with laxatives. Mm. Um, gave birth to my first daughter at 22, my second daughter at 24 was living the life that I was supposed to be living, had a wonderful marriage. And by the time I hit my 30s, I was pretty much hitting rock bottom in, with regard to my health. I was highly functioning. I was a pillar in my community, active in the PTA. My husband and I were, were very visible in the community. My daughters were growing, doing everything that they should be doing. The thing was though, that as I was getting smaller, they were getting bigger. Their relationship with food was totally, totally being disordered and becoming dysfunctional. So now I'm in my late 30s and I reached out to the family doctor and I started on a whole merry-go-round of recovery. And I also want to say this was the early 90s and there weren't any spa-like residential treatment right. centers. It was the hospital which basically is a psych ward right? or nothing. And I, this was not going to be acceptable. After all, I had an image to protect. Right? Mm -hmm. right? So I embarked on this journey of doing recovery. Weekly doctor visits, weigh-ins, vitals checked, twice weekly meetings with a therapist, meetings with a dietitian who had me eating food that was totally not going to work for me and told me to wash it down with two glasses of wine to keep me relaxed. Oh, God. oh my gosh. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Just was not yeah. going to work. And, um, but I was being a good little girl showing up for my appointments and going through the motions. But in my mind, I was still so fearful of what food would do to me. I couldn't let go of that. Fast forward now to my late forties still highly functioning, going through everything that I need to go. My, my weight was normalizing. My weight had been restored and everything was okay. Still laxative dependent, but I told myself I needed them in order to function properly. Right. 
Right. Um, my daughters were away at school, still struggling with their own weight issues, but on all accounts, we were doing okay. And then my husband was diagnosed with metastatic melanoma. Oh God. No. Yes. In uh, 2002, 21 months of hell. He died in 2004. So here oh, I was 49 right. years old, a widow. My daughters were in their early twenties and I totally went backwards. I right. was, I like to say the best way to describe what I was going through. I was emotionally, spiritually, and physically bankrupt. There was mm -hmm. nothing left. He was my rock. He was my troubleshooter. He was there for me when life scared me, which was very often. Mm. And I had to figure it all out. My drinking had gotten out of hand. My daughters were embarrassed. Honestly, there were times that I felt that they felt the wrong parent had died. Oh, no. Yeah. So I realized by some divine intervention that I had a choice. I could stay plunged into the darkness and keep hiding or I could embrace the light. And I chose the light. My mm. eldest daughter was married. She was going to have a baby. I wanted to be an active participant in their lives. And I started to take responsibility and become really accountable for everything that I was hungry for and that I needed so badly. Um, still had trouble using my voice, but I worked on it. But at mm. the same time, I started to study nutrition I became a board certified health coach and that plunged me into a whole area of self-discovery mm. where I could really look inward. And I realized at some point that I had been doing recovery. I wasn't being recovered. Interesting. Yeah. But at the same time, I knew that the strategies and the tools that I had been given were not going to be sustainable for me because I was dealing with physical consequences as a result of my behavior with food. I had serious GI upset. I had depression, anxiety. My hormones were crazy. I'm sure my adrenals were shot. So I was very fortunate to be introduced to the idea of functional medicine nutrition. And mm. that teaches you that all systems of the body are connected. Every body is unique and everything matters. And I was also introduced at a similar time to Mark David at the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, where I pursued that certification in eating the psychology coaching, which taught me how to help people, as I like to describe, to figure out who they are as eaters. Why are you eating? How are you eating? When are you eating? And when you take that deep dive into those issues, the what somehow takes care of itself because you give up that whole concept of willpower when you become willing to stop fearing what food will do to you as you embrace what it can do for you. So I took all this training, I took my experience with recovery, and I created the seven steps to stop fearing what food will do to you. They're an acronym for freedom, find your enough, rest and digest, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're not, eat mindfully, do something every day to make your body feel alive, only eat whole foods as often as you can, and make sure you surround yourself with what truly nourishes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. And so now I have really niched down even further, and I am working mostly with women in midlife because 
That's what I know best. And my clients inspire me and they're willing to look at their stories and they're willing to say that, damn it, I'm ready to create the life I want. Ah, yes, and you know, everybody is. has a different story. Everybody's story is unique. So we look at that and we look at the parts of the story that we're attached to. And the most important part of this work is to honor that story, honor it, because the behaviors with food, the relationship to food served a very useful purpose. There was reward in that. It helped you feel safe in a world where you needed to feel safe. It helped mm. you navigate. So we need to honor that. But we also need to understand the context within which the behaviors evolved so we can lovingly let them go. There is so much goodness in what you just said to unpack. I almost don't even know <laughs> where to start. But I would like to draw out a thread of something that you said that stood out to me and I would like to share with our audience. And I, I've shared with you, Mindy, that I've had an eating disorder for, for many years. I think it started when I was in my mid-20s and I was basically sustaining myself on probably 300 or 400 calories a day. I was eating one meal a day. I spread it out over the course of the day. I would eat a cup of broccoli at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then I would eat half a chicken breast at 11. And then the other half of the chicken breast at 12. And then I would have 12 baby carrots and a quarter cup of cottage cheese. And so I spread it out through the day. And, and then I was working out like four hours a day. Mm -hmm. And I did that consistently for probably nine years. And it was when I had my children that I pulled back on that and allowed myself to you know, nourish my body during that pregnancy. But something that still stays in my mind is this idea of identity. If I don't look perfect and I'm not perfect, then I cannot be loved. But I have a hard time letting go of that. I'm going to be honest. So I would love to know more about how do you do that? And how do you know when you are actually recovered and not still in this process of recovery? Yeah, yeah it's such a great question. And a really, really important point to make. And a lot of it is, as we talked about before we came on, about identity. So what happens for us as women, we've established this identity as daughters, mothers, partners. Um, we created these behaviors and these patterns of how we function and how we show up as the best that we think we need to be, very often that identity needs to be reframed. Mm. Looking at, backing it all up, looking at how that identity evolved and finding the, the misguided information in that. Mm. You know, people have asked me very often, you know, what's the difference between eating disorder and disordered eating? You know, clinically, the difference is that disordered eating is an eating disorder to a lesser degree, you know, mm -hmm. still the same thoughts, the same fears, the same behaviors, but to a lesser degree. My definition of disordered eating is misguided information that is driven by, I mean, I'm sorry, misguided behavior that is driven 
by misinformation. So when we look at our stories, okay, like I look at my story and I think about, you know, being told I needed to walk a certain way. I couldn't wear flats because it would make my thighs look too big. My posture was important. I had to hold my tush in instead of out. Um, I can share with you that when I was first married, I would go home to visit my parents and I wore control top pantyhose under my jeans. Wow. So that was my identity. I had to look at that and not about blaming, explaining, you know, the messenger had their own, as we say, Mishagas, right? That was passed on to future generations. So I need to look at that with compassion, acceptance, and just let it go for the ridiculousness that it is. I am not the size of my thigh. I am so much more than that. But having said that, and this is really important because conventional eating disorder treatment protocols today that push the all foods fit philosophy, that in order to be fully committed to your recovery, you need to commit to eat everything. (laughs) That's not going to work if you have lived a life restricting binging and purging because Mm -hmm. your gut is so out of whack and there's so much imbalance there that you are not going to be able to digest, absorb, and assimilate a lot of food. And what we know now about the gut-brain connection, that is creating not only imbalance, but it's feeding your anxiety. Put that together with the guilt and the shame and the fear, and that's about doing recovery. Being recovered is looking at what food can do for you, choosing not to eat certain foods that will not make you feel well, embracing foods that will, and understanding that if you're saying no to eating something because it doesn't make you feel well, you're not restricting, you're making an empowered choice. So it's all about mindset. It's all about mindset. Well, I think and that's an interesting distinction because you know, in my mind, there are certain things that I won't let allow myself to eat. And I also have an autoimmune condition. So that right. also drives mm-hmm. Absolutely. what I can eat that helps me feel well or doesn't right. help me feel well. But I am acutely aware that I do need to let go of this fear of eating, allowing myself to make that choice. Because I think that the choice is made out of fear and not made of empowerment in Mm. instances. Yeah, so what needs to happen then is finding a way to reconnect to the wisdom of your body. See, that is a very common, I'd say the common denominator of most people today who, whether they have an eating disorder or they're just enmeshed in diet culture, they are so disconnected from their bodies that they're letting social media, diet culture, tell them, eat this, don't eat that, when their bodies are smarter than all of that put together. So if we could commit, if we could really experiment, explore what makes us feel our best, we learn to trust our bodies. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, we will never love what we don't trust. And we will never trust what we don't love. And when I say love your body, I, 
I'm very realistic. We're not always going to love what we see in the mirror, especially as we start approaching midlife. <laughs> but when I talk about loving our bodies, I mean honoring them, treating them with kindness, love, rather than abusing them. You think about what we've put our bodies through with all these years of disordered eating. Yeah. You know, you know and it's interesting because I've always had kind of the opposite situation and mindset. You know, food at my house was a celebration it, or it was, you know, me and mom on a Friday night, we're going to curl up in her bed and we'll watch a movie and eat a whole pack of fudge covered Oreos. Cause that's just what we did is me and mom kicking it. This was good times. Right. And so food, I became heavy. And so I grew into the fat girl persona and lived this life of being really overweight and you know, the comments of, wow, you would be so pretty if you only lost weight, right? Just, so it's this completely different mindset. And I think it's still very much a disordered eating and this really hard relationship with food. And what you said about listening to the wisdom of your body really resonates with me, whether you have an eating disorder that keeps you from eating or an eating disorder that keeps you overeating. It's still that same principle of how can I sit down, get quiet, listen to my body and what feels good to my body, what nourishes my body and helps me to operate at my highest potential um, nutritionally. Because we know when we aren't feeding our body the nutrients that it needs, the impact that that just has on our daily functions, our ability to think and reason and connect all of that goes out the window. You start living in this fog or this haze. And so I would love to dive into this notion of how do we start to listen to the wisdom of our bodies and allow that wisdom to speak to us in ways where we can start to make actionable changes. Again, it goes back to story, looking at the validity of the story. And I'm so happy you shared that about being in bed with your mom watching a movie because there's so much talk today about emotional eating, right? Mm -hmm. From where I sit, there are three kinds of emotional eating. One is eating in response to an emotionally charged situation. Have a bad day, a bad conversation, you reach for the bag, the box, the carton. In that scenario, you can pretty much stop when you realize what you're doing, you had enough. Sometimes that leads to the other kind of emotional eating, whereas we eat so as not to feel emotion. Right. That's numbing, avoiding, distracting. And that's pretty much binge behavior. Right. Beyond being comfortably full and ending up with a food hangover. But then there's the emotional eating that you talked about when you got into bed with your mama. Yeah. Right. I mean, who hasn't had that extra serving of deliciousness just because yes. they're celebrating, right? A piece of birthday cake, whatever, whatever it is. We want to bring emotion to the table with us. Mm -hmm. We want to experience the meal. We want mm -hmm. to experience everything that surrounds it. Get our, our, our senses going and excited. So emotional eating doesn't have to be so negative. To that point, though. You want to look at who you are as an eater, right? Who is making these choices? Is it the little girl that's craving being in bed with her mom? Mm -hmm. Because she needs that comfort. She needs mm -hmm. that hug. Is it the petulant child 
who's angry because she was told she couldn't have this or eat everything on your plate, which teaches a child that they have no sense of their hunger or fullness and can't trust their bodies. Or is it the rebellious teen who is told to be, you've got to stop eating in order to look a certain way. Right. Or is it the woman who imagines herself being the most vibrant version of herself. So that's how we dial it back. Mm. And we get curious, awareness, curiosity. That's how we start. And then I, I seriously recommend women start to track, not for judgmental purposes, not for me to say you shouldn't have eaten that, but so they can get a sense of how they're feeling emotionally and physically in response to what they're eating. Right. And that's how we start. And that begins this whole cascade of awareness and aha moments. Yeah. And then again, realizing how the disordered behavior was in service to you. Mm. Not about resistance. It's really about looking at the reward. How did this behavior make me feel better? What did it do for me? And then looking at the truth and all that. And you asked me how you know you recovered. I'll tell you how I knew I was recovered. It happens gradually. It's not like the alcoholic that can tell you when she had her last drink. (laughs) You know, you realize you left the house without getting on the scale. Or you didn't study for me how my thighs looked in my pants. Right? And I remember ordering a salad and forgetting to ask for the dressing on the side. And I ate it anyway. I didn't send it back trusting that my body is going to handle any imperfect food that I might choose to eat, but it's always my choice. I don't fear what food will do to me. I trust my body enough to know that it can handle whatever I put into it. And I also trust my body to know that I'm choosing to eat what makes it feel best. Why would I choose differently? Why would I choose to eat something? that doesn't make me feel well. That's being recovered. Thank you for sharing that story. I think I'm almost there. I shared with you before we got on the call that I had gone to Chicago this week and ate pizza for the first time. I was like, I know. I love this. In years, the first time. And I remember actually conscientiously making that choice and saying, you know what? I'm on vacation with my kids. I'm here with my family. I was visiting some cousins and I'm going to eat this pizza and I'm not going to worry about it. And I didn't even think about it for the rest of the day. And I wasn't worried about it at all. I think I also, um, went to dinner one night with my daughters and we had three different desserts for dinner. And I was like, I'm trying every single one of these desserts. (laughs) And so, you know, but I, then I also disclosed to you that the first thing I did when I got home was step on the scale. But Mm -hmm. when I stepped on that scale, what I also realized is that I hadn't gained any weight. And it was, I think, a a recognition, Mindy, Mm -hmm. that what I ate in the past week had really no bearing on my life today. And I think it's those little moments that we have where you make one step closer to fully being recovered. Yeah. Um, So thank you for sharing that. I want to say something though. It had a huge bearing on your life today because it showed you that you can Enjoy the experience of a meal with your daughters. Yes. With your family. True. Absolutely. So absolutely. That's life-changing. Yeah. 
That's a great point. Absolutely. So my question then becomes, you mentioned that a lot of your audience and a lot of the people that you serve are women in midlife. So help us understand why it's this point in time when we struggle so much with this and, and what we can do to make our own steps toward recovery. Yeah. Well, it's, again, I'm going back to story. I'm sorry. I keep repeating that, but it's so important. Mm -hmm. Um, What we've told ourselves, how we need to be. Um, You know, I, I think of, of women I know who gave up careers to raise their children and really sacrificed a lot children that had issues growing up and now they're out of the house so they're looking at um their relationship basically to deprivation having feel deprived now it's my turn but that becomes i'm going to eat whatever i want Mm. so what advice then are you providing these women so that they can have better balance in their life. Because that's really what it's yeah. all about, right? Yeah, it's, it's about sourcing your self-worth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sourcing your self-worth. Looking at all that you are, not what, you're, what you believe you're not. Mm-hmm. Honoring your story. Understanding your story. You know, when, when a woman comes to me and she wants to lose weight, mm-hmm. I tell her, it's more important to work on why the weight is there in the first place. You can't enjoy sustainable weight loss unless you understand how the weight showed up in the first place. So that's, that's what the work is about. The work is about closing the book on the parts of the story that no longer serve, mm-hmm. opening up a new journal, a blank page and starting to write what can become your happily ever after. I love that. Um, You know, there's always a fresh start. There's always a new day. There's always um, opportunity to recreate your story and create something new. And so often we are tied to who we've always been and what we've always done without understanding that not only does our body have wisdom, but we literally have the power in any moment of our lives to stop and make a choice to be something different or do something different. And that it doesn't always necessarily mean, you know, I have to fast and pray and belabor and, you know, call on the gods and light all my incense for 14 months before I'm worthy of this change. No, honey, you can stop right now, make a decision, And then your body will start to get in line with your decision that you are making as you continue to grow into it, lean into it and educate yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you are listening and you are somebody that you're like, hey, today is that day that I want to make a decision and do something different. Where would you tell them to start, Mindy? Look inward. Mm -hmm. Stop looking outside of yourself. Stop looking to the scale. Stop looking to the latest diet that's being proclaimed as the holy grail on social media. Stop listening to people telling you that their cousin, soul cycle instructor, (laughs) followed this plan and lost 30 pounds. Look inside of you. Find out who you want to be. You know, as women, particularly women in midlife, 
We spend so much time and energy figuring out how to be that we forget mm. who to be. That's right. Okay, so we have the opportunity at this point in our lives to create who we want to be. Right. I think that's so, so powerful. And I can see how women who've been pouring so much into other people mm -hmm. want all of a sudden, they find the comfort and it's like they're trying to fill their this void of all the things they've been given away with maybe eating the food, right? I'm, I'm feeling so empty because I've given so much of myself to other people that I feel like I, I crave something to fill me up. And I think if we were conscientious about that, it's about saying, okay, I feel empty and finding differing ways to serve that, that need is really what you're talking about. Yeah. What am I really hungry for? What brings me joy? That's a good way to say it. Yeah. You know, what is it that I'm truly craving? Yes. That I'm masking with food, but what is it that, yes. When I'm eating those cookies, damn it, I miss my mama. Yeah. yeah. You know? And yeah. that's, and it's honor true. That. Honor that. Don't but, let me find fudge covered Oreos. I don't even know if they make uh, them anymore. I'd tear a whole <laughs> 15 packs up right now. Yeah, just because but, to try to reconnect with those moments. But you know what? If you allowed yourself to go there, really allowed yourself, took away the guilt and the shame, and you took the cookies and put a few on a plate yeah, and ate them with love in your heart and memories in your soul, I guarantee you, you're going to stop when you've had enough. I love that, Mindy. I love that. Yeah. As she Googles fudge covered Oreos. <laughs> but it's so That's true too. If what I hear Trinity saying is that she longs for that connection yeah. with the people in her life that are so important. And what I also hear you saying is yes, honor that. But then also there are other ways that we can create yeah. that connection. Yeah. You know, I know Trinity has a son. So build those moments with him mm -hmm. and savor those over the Oreos is yeah. what I think we, we also need to do more yeah. of. And, and as I said before, very often food becomes the emotional placeholder. Yeah. Right. So we, as women, and I'm sensing I'm older than you ladies. Probably not too much. I'm not 67 much. years old. You. Okay. Are yeah, amazing. amazing. <laughs> you are amazing. <laughs> so for me, it really was about learning to use my voice. Mm. I had a terrible issue with using my voice. And I'd love to share an experience that I recently had with my Please do. daughter. Yeah. My daughter is 44 years old. She's very strong-willed. She's an amazing woman. She's wise. She's kind. She's fun. And we had a conversation a few months ago where she shared with me something that was going on in her life. And I let her know that I had a different sense of what was going on. And she interpreted that I was sitting in judgment and that I was not being supportive. And I probably wasn't because I let her know how I was seeing the situation differently than she was. And 
We got off the phone and it took a few weeks for her to share with me that she felt totally unsupported. She felt judged and how important my approval is to her. Mm. And it jogged something in me because I knew how I always felt judged and how much I yearned for my mother's approval and how I spent so many years of my adult life trying to win it. And I told my daughter what I thought of her as a human, how proud I am of her, and that she does not need my approval and that we can agree to disagree. It doesn't mean we love each other any less. And this became not about me giving my daughter a gift. It became about me giving myself a gift because by using my voice and opening up my heart and letting go of that restrictive mindset, I realized what I had been hungry for for most of my life. And it was just an amazing experience for me. Mm. Probably the biggest aha moment. And yeah, my daughter was happy and relieved and all of that. And our relationship is, is wonderful. But you set yourself free. But it was about my relationship to myself at that point. Mm. And that's why I'm going to go back to what we talked about earlier that our relationship to self is reflected in our relationship to everything else, food being one of those things, not every, but our relationship to everything else. And then food becomes the emotional placeholder because of our earliest memories yeah. being cared for. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I like have tears in my eyes because I feel as though I can relate to that. Really? And I always have to cry every episode. <laughs> <laughs> and you've just uh, breathed such authenticity and wisdom into this conversation with your stories and, and for being so vulnerable to us, Mindy. It's just so refreshing and just so lovely to hear your stories because I think they're so relatable and not just to me, but to the rest of our audience. 